0: Three, two, one. Hey, yo. you! You're now
1: listening to the sounds of Fawns and the Beard. You Hope you're ready for the next
2: episode. Hey,
1: alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for joining us here on Fawns and the Beard. Uh, we've got a very special episode today going to be our first episode with an actual live guest and it's not just us two knuckleheads talking
2: yeah for sure
1: <laughs> so <laughs> all right so on the line today we've got yeah. jason watts he is a buddy of mine from back in the day uh to be honest though this is probably the first time i've communicated with him in over 22 years
3: <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah. a long it's time about yeah at, le- at least 20 yeah at least 20 yeah
1: uh, so anyway, um, Jason is a composer, and uh, he, this man actually wears many hats. To be honest, he uh, he uh, not not only does he produce, he does a couple of things that we'll go ahead and go over as well. Besides the composing and everything else, he actually he actually sent me a laundry list. Check this out, Alfonso. Oh God! Oh, look at it. Yeah, it's like I showed this to Neely, and he's like. Dude could write a book about himself. Right? I know, right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, that would probably be a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
1: but anyway, so how are you doing today, Jason? Uh, I'm doing pretty well No right. the complaints. Not right? I mean, even... How are you? you? I'm, I'm doing well. I, I really am. But even if I were to complain, I don't think anybody would give two shits. <laughs> so that's why. So, and hey, just...
3: I, I, I feel the same way about myself, so... Right. All right, so just to let What's you know, this point? is
1: this is kind of an adult-oriented program, so don't feel too bad Great. if you have to say any vulgarities or anything like that, because we are a bunch of adults here, even though even though my partner Sounds here is twenty years younger than we are.
2: <laughs> I'm still an adult. Wow.
1: Okay, <laughs> almost twenty years. It's not quite. You're what? Twenty three. I'm twenty two.
2: Yeah, 22. Well, I'm about to be twenty
1: three. Yeah. So. Yeah
3: and, the uh, the last podcast interview I did a couple of years ago for this um. For Entertain Me Arkansas. Uh, they invited me on there and I'm just steadily rolling out the the profanities and <laughs> well, they finally I'll, said, Well, I hope well, they finally said, Well, I hope no kids are gonna be listening to this and I'm like, Oh my god. <laughs> no, no, we're just joking. It's, it's okay, you can cuss all you want. <laughs> that's good, that's good. Yeah. All right. So, um
1: now the just to kind of give you a heads up, uh, Jason and uh, everybody else that may be just catching this as their first episode. Uh, this is everything audio again with Fawns and the Beard, and we pretty much talk about everything and anything that has to do with um, audio sound. It could be, you know, anything from ADR, of course, you know, composing for uh, uh, for for movies and film or and uh, television, whatever it may be, um, you know. And so it's just one of those things where, you know, if it has to do with audio, we're basically going to discuss it. Um, okay. So anyway. um, you know, um, I kind of give a backstory. I know I just give a little bit about yeah. how me and Jason know each other. Um, and, and if you don't want to, if you don't want to speak about this, Jason, it's okay. But anyway, no. Um, back in high school, uh. I actually had a group of friends mm-hmm. that were also in a group of friends with Jason. Um, it was uh, yep. another Jason, Jason Ashworth, uh, which yes. I actually lived with at the time, and then a bunch of other miscreants that we used to hang out with. As a matter of fact, when I first met Jason. It wasn't even at school. It was across the street from the school at the park that all of us potheads would meet at. Now, I don't know. I can't speak specifically for Jason because I know you still smoke cigarettes, by the way.
3: Oh, man. Yeah. You make me admit my my bad habit. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Hey, man, I'm going to let you know I've got that bad habit as well. But anyway. Yeah. Every
2: second you walk out with that vape.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm actually, yeah, I vape now instead of cigarette smoking, but it's still nicotine. But uh, no, that's actually how we kind of met was Uh at that park. And then, Uh Jason was kind of one of those guys that was... He was there, but if he didn't say anything, you'd kind of miss the guy.
2: Yeah. I'm like...
1: And so... and, And I'm still trying to figure out why he was even hanging out with a lot of these miscreants anyway, because he seemed like he... He seemed like he had his shit together compared to the rest of us, especially if you look at, you know, what he's done with himself oh, compared yeah, just, to some of the other idiots that <laughs> we used to hang out with. Um, with
3: the, it, 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 I, I, it just seemed that way. I promise. <laughs> but
1: anyway, <laughs> yeah. So we would, I would go over there. I would smoke cigarettes. I'd smoke a joint, and then I'd end up going to school. And then Jason would, he'd go off and go do his thing as well. Uh, like I said, you know, we were. To be honest, we were more of acquaintances at that point in time. Um, yeah. and again, yeah. it was just barely it was just basically because we you know we hang we hung in the same groups. Um, but now Jason after school actually decided to go make something of himself. I, as you already know, Alfonso, I dropped out of high school and then I joined the military and now I'm making something of my life. But thankfully, um, he beat I, you to the punch. Yeah, he did. He did beat me to the punch, but uh, it's good though because now I actually have somebody to talk to <laughs> that's in the industry that I'm getting into, and so therefore I,
3: I, I actually have some ammunition. Um, actually, you know, I have to tell you, it wasn't immediately after high school. I mean, I absolutely did nothing for years, more or less. I was a, like a club DJ for,
0: <laughs> oh wow,
3: for uh, yeah, for. Geez, I don't even know how long—maybe uh, five or six years or so. Um, really, uh, getting into getting back into composing and um, all of the film scoring and all all of that—it really happened around 2009 officially when I moved back here from uh, to to Arkansas from Ohio. <clears throat> so, so yeah, before that, I was doing nothing, right? I mean, you know. What? I mean, not not nothing, but right. Nothing Here, major.
1: Here's my question: What would persuade you to move back to Arkansas? I mean, you got away.
3: <laughs> well, um, it, it was the uh, it was actually the the economic downturn of 2008. Um, I just always, when people ask me that question, I've been asked quite a bit. Um, I always just put it this way. Um, Ohio was so was hit so hard by that um, that within a month um, we had a local um, uh, mailman who retired from the postal system, and there were so many jobless people within a month after the, the economic collapse that 600, 600 people lined up to apply for that job. Oh, wow. Um, companies were dying daily, and um, I thought I was pretty safe from it for a while, but then the company I worked for started falling apart too, so um, I packed up and came back here, where really nothing nothing here had been affected at that time, really, by the, by the, the crash, if you want to call it that. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, the funny thing is, the minute I got to Ohio, everyone up there was like, why on earth would you move from Arkansas? ohio i'm like it's arkansas i mean i don't know know.
1: Uh, yeah i mean the only thing arkansas really has going for it in my opinion is the ozarks
2: oh the springs Mm -hmm. the
1: springs because it's beautiful up there um but then again you turn around and you go south a little bit from there and then you're in you know um oh what is the name of that town with the paper mill in it um Mm. Pine Bluff. Um, no, not Pine. Yes. Bluff. Yeah, it is Pine Bluff. Yeah. And then and you and you go there and then you're like, you're like, you know, paper mill. It, I don't know if you've ever been around a paper mill, Alfonso. It is one of the most god awful smells.
3: Oh God. Yeah. I think
1: the only thing that can compare to that, in my opinion, would probably be it the barn like pits old, in our It rag.
3: smells like old, soiled, dirty diapers.
1: Yes. Yes. And feet. <laughs>
3: Yes, and
1: heat. Yes. All right. All
3: right. Yeah,
1: so, you, gotta, you gotta get them. You gotta get them cooking. you right. All right. So uh, let's kind of get into some of the meat and the potatoes of why we actually sure. have you on here today. Now, um, yeah, you did send me kind of a quick rough bio, uh, talking about how you um, you found your niche in music early in life. Uh, you said right around nine years old, right? <laughs> yeah, that was
3: um, that was when I started piano lessons. Yes. Okay. Um, now, was that forced on you? And then it was, well, no, no, not at all. Uh, I was not one of those kids you had to force. Um, I actually more or less begged. Uh, my cousin, who's, don't laugh, her name is Debbie Gibson. Um, and your, your partner may not even know that name. I'm sure you do, David. Oh, I know, but, yes. Uh,
1: I'm a child of the 80s, um,
3: yes. Yeah, she. Uh, she's a very good Piano at the piano, so um, around that age, I I don't really remember exactly what it was that drew me to it, but I just thought, hey, you know, she's cousin, she's close, she can teach me how to play piano. So, yeah, I started off on that, and then it was um, middle school before I picked up the next thing, which was trumpet. Right, that's what I did. Nice.
1: All right, so now uh, let's fast forward a little bit um, to your teenage years. Uh, it says here mm-hmm. that, uh, I mean, how do you jump from playing the piano to wanting to compose music? I mean, that's kind of a large leap right there, isn't it?
3: Um. Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, I think, I think well with the piano, with the keyboard, and I think maybe this is also true with the guitar as well. Most instruments that can play chords, unlike the trumpet or saxophone, you know, the other instruments I play, um, you know, with the trumpet or with the saxophone or the violin, you can play a melody. Um, but with, with the keyboard, you know, I mean, you've got the full spectrum of an orchestra laid out across the keys. In fact, the keyboard's got more um, high end and low end than an orchestra can even reach. So um, I, I think that maybe it's just kind of a natural thing that that most kids who play the piano, whether they whether they ever sit down and say I'm going to start composing music, they're sitting at home doing it anyway. Right. Um, in between practicing their pieces that their teachers, their instructors are making them perform or whatever, you know, they're going to be sitting there writing things anyway. So uh, I think it kind of comes naturally. Um, the other thing really though, and this is something I mentioned in that list of stuff I sent you, um, the first, uh, keyboard synthesizer I got, um, I think I was 12 or 13, had, um, uh, like 16 track multi-track recorder built in. And so that was the other sort of bridging, uh, aspect, I guess you could say, um, once I got that then actually sitting and writing anything on the keyboard on that keyboard at least I could sit there and, and just record it in piece by piece and that was kind of really where it started
1: okay um, you got any questions so far I was just
2: gonna say yeah that that must have been pretty difficult I imagine everything I always imagine how things back before my era and age, before the complete digitization of almost everything it must have been hard uh-huh. especially the beginning of digital uh, recording it must've been difficult to even figure out how to work that. Did you, did you have to read them? Did it come with a manual or did you kind of buy it off of a shelf and it, had to learn it?
3: <clears throat> it did. It, it did come with a, with a, a full manual. Um, back then, uh, and, you know, and these were like Yamaha models that, you know, they were home. They weren't the, they weren't your, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars that you spend on like this massive synthesizer or anything. But, um, they, you know, they tried to keep it pretty simple. Um, you had all of your transport controls, stop, play, record, fast forward, so forth. You could turn on the metronome, you could set the tempo, things like that. Um, I think probably by the time David and I were out of high school, you know, a lot of that had advanced even further. But really, um, I would say with the first one that I got, the first keyboard I had um, that I could record with, it was, it was fairly simple, fairly simple, actually. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's been an interesting, um, pro, uh, interesting watching the technology progress, because at the time David and I um, were maybe 10 or 11 years old, PCs were just becoming a big thing. Yeah. Um, everybody started getting their own, um, and though that was right in the time period where general MIDI um, technology had been incorporated into home PCs. Uh, and, of course, back then, you know, as far as orchestra sounds or anything acoustic, it was all just general MIDI sounds, and, you know, you could go buy a keyboard and bring it home, plug it in, and you had those general MIDI sounds, or you could go to the computer, and you had those, basically exactly the same sounds on the computer. Um, and, and the funny thing was that it, it really, after a year or two, um, the computer MIDI disappointed me. So I just continued with using the keyboard and recording directly with sounds right on the keyboard, where I could just play it in, rather than sitting in a computer and clicking notes into place.
2: Yeah, um, that I that I have a problem with that. I I don't have a MIDI keyboard, and and MIDI is so cool, but it's just the process of just you know you click the keyboard in Logic Pro. I don't know what software yeah. you use. Logic Pro. He's a Cubase guy. Oh, Cubase. I, yeah, I Cubase. I got scammed out of that, um, but anyways, Logic Pro. It I'm pretty sure like all most music softwares have a, some sort of like keyboard, uh, like a chordy keyboard, uh, keyboard in it, and that's just it doesn't work for me. And I'm and I don't know music that well, but I'm pretty sure a regular keyboard would be way better.
3: <laughs> oh, definitely. And and one of the reasons today um, that it is that they're almost a necessity today is not. So much if you're using a lot of synthesized um, virtual instruments, but for instance, with the orchestral ones, um, the instruments themselves are so intricately programmed. Um, like today, you know, the original sample libraries were one offs. I mean, you got a snare hit, um, or, or you'd, you'd sample whatever, a violin, mm-hmm. and you would have one sample for every note that violin could play today you get a sampled violin and there's maybe a thousand samples for every single note the violin can play. Because you have to have vibrato samples, non-vibrato samples, legato samples, sustained samples, staccato samples, every type of note that that violin can play, you have to have that as a sample. Um, And that's really, to me that was the big turning point, the, the way I see it. It happened just a little bit before I got involved with it. But there was this point where we went from these very static, um, canned samples where here's your sample, That's, that you there it is, you can do it. you can sculpt it, play with it, put effects on it, but you you know, you're not gonna get it any more realistic than what it sounds. But then when they began to get into like the deep programming where every time I strike a key, the violin, for instance, is maybe playing ten different samples simultaneously. To make a cohesive, playable instrument that sounds like the real thing when you, um, you know, if you have one in front of you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been amazing to see it all progress so far in what I feel like is a short period of time. I mean, it's been 30 years mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, of watching all this happen, but. Short period still of time. That's like some people's very lifetimes. Short... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, when I, because when we were kids when we were kids and I, and I was playing around with that general MIDI stuff. Now, I, at that point, I was, I was dreaming about the stuff we have now and thinking, that'll never happen. You can never make a virtual instrument that sounds like the real thing. And the current company I'm dealing with a lot is in terms of like my brass instruments, woodwind instrument instruments, um, saxophones and solo strings. They're actually into synthesis. Their virtual instruments are synthesized but they sound more realistic and more believable, and they're more playable than the sampled ones are. And that's how far we've come: is that synthesis can now accurately mimic real acoustic instruments. Well, and from it's just, it's just kind of mind-boggling.
2: From what uh, I learned from my uh, boss over at the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth is uh, there's difference. The, there's differences between the analog and like digital, and the main difference between digital and maybe it's the same thing with synthesizers um or synth- uh, like you said synthesis is a uh, the uh most of the time digital it has a sample of just the uh the instrument and that's why uh-huh. digital sometimes isn't that great because it's just the sample and you can't go like you said there's not as uh-huh. much uh, in depth there's not every single bit of note like you were saying there's not a sustain uh-huh. note and everything but But the but there are digital synths that will that are model synths, which they uh, have the the basically the same. They have like the model of the sound or uh, that that Mm -hmm. that it's recreating from the actual analog synth, and and you can shape that model to basically work like the analog uh, synthesizer.
3: Absolutely, Uh, in fact. As an example, I use uh, a product called Spectrosonics. It's called Omnisphere. Yes, Um, yes,
2: we we actually got that here at TCC uh, because another composer of our, uh, I forget, uh, but Patrick, he's our instructional uh, supervisor or something here in the department. He, he basically mm-hmm. runs the entire uh, tech uh, department. He's
1: the backbone of the of the of the, uh, of the uh, program.
3: Basically. Yes,
2: uh, he he's oh, okay. yeah he's been in the industry for quite a long time uh, ever since probably the '70s. I well we're gonna have him on an interview too, and we're gonna get okay. more in depth. But he uh, his friend who's also a composer just as you are, uh, he uses the same Spectrosonics uh, Omnisphere.
3: Yeah. It's 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 amaz- It's an amazing tool. Uh, I won't go up on it too much, but um, you know, Omnisphere is literally. I mean, that that's probably the one virtual instrument that you can go from most film composers working at home, or not, not even film. I mean, Omnisphere can be used for pop music, anything. I mean, really. Mm. Um, but it's one of those things that you can you can find it in the in the studios of like home composers. And then you can go to Hollywood, and they're actually using the same exact Omnisphere. I mean, it's been used for—Zimmer uses it in basically every score he does. I mean, it's been used for the music—it's the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, or actually even, you know, The Hobbit. All of the, the elf horns, the, the dwarf horns that mm-hmm. you hear in that, it all comes from a shepherd's horn that's sampled in Omnisphere and you, you can take it and mutate it and change it to whatever you want and that's what they used it for so they could create like the horns that the elves played and stuff so are they just basically um,
1: taking and just changing the pitch through the software to uh,
3: emulate well, what they want sort of yeah um you know omnisphere is full of, st- of of patches of instrument patches which are just fully they're fully synthesized, but. Then it's also got like a bank of 50 or 60 gigabytes worth of sampled instruments and just bangs and clangs and sounds of all sorts, you know. And, and the idea is if you're using one of the sampled instruments from within it, so they, they sampled the shepherd's horn, um, then you can take that shepherd's horn and you can, can combine limitless amounts of synthesis to the shepherd's horn to completely alter it. I mean, you can totally just destroy it, degrade it down to nothing. Um, and, and the and the cool thing is, and this is one of the things they make a point of in the Omnisphere Manual, is that synthesis combined with samples um, has a very organic sound to the synthesis at the end, unlike straight-up synthesis, which You It really doesn't have much of an organic sound to it at all. So it makes
1: it sound more analog than digital is what you're saying.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's almost like, well, if you could take a real instrument and sample it and then add some synthesis to it, and you can turn the sample into whatever you want, whatever you want it to sound like, and still it retains some of the sort of acoustic properties, I guess, Mm -hmm. maybe the best way you could put it. Okay. So, for instance, when they used it for the horns in the Lord of the Rings movies, they distorted that shepherd's horn like crazy. But yet it still sounds like that was a thing. Somebody was holding that and blew that horn. It's not just straight up synthesis. Right. No, right. Um, but, yeah, um, and in terms of what uh, what you were talking about a minute ago, um, samples versus, versus synthesis. Mm-hmm. The sample modeling, the company that produces the brass, woodwinds, and all that that I mentioned earlier, their their view is that in a live performance, let's say you've got uh, a string orchestra, in a live performance, the tempo and the pace and the feel of the, the music itself is going to inform the performance right down to the vibrato, the, the speed of the vibrato that's being played. Mm-hmm. And the problem, the problem with the sample instruments is all of that's baked in.
0: Exactly. I mean, the,
3: the, the, the vibrato is already recorded in, all the little details are recorded in, so sample modeling, their, their approach is to use synthesis, because as you're performing their instruments, you're creating all of the audio in real time, just like a real instrument, as opposed to hitting a key and triggering a sample um so essentially like with sample modeling all the vibrato all the little details you have to perform that all that all in and that that's sort of the catch though is that um with the sample libraries the performance is in the samples and you just have to piece it together right
0: mm-hmm.
3: with sample modeling like for instance when i play a trumpet I've got a finger on the mod wheel that's controlling the dynamics of the instrument. I'm playing the notes on the keyboard. The velocity determines the attack. Uh, the release determines the length of the release. I have a breath controller which I'm actually using. The breath controller controls vibrato. So I'm like I'm sitting here, sort of like I look like I'm wired up, you know, yeah. <laughs> to this to this, to this rig, um, but it's amazing. Being a trumpet player, a violin player, playing sample modeling instruments an instrument, it's just, it is literally a virtualization of the real instrument. And so I've really aligned myself with that company a lot. I've become good friends with the, the owners. Um, they're in Italy. And hopefully within the next couple of years, all of my instruments will be sample modeling and it'll all be actually synthesis again. Mm-hmm. Which is the
1: funny thing? Nice. Mm. All right, so let's uh, let's get into some uh, some more uh, some more details about you, good sir. Now, according to some of the information again that you sent me last night, you you'd previously mentioned that you didn't start doing anything until, until two thousand and nine, but and then mm-hmm. three years later in twenty twelve, you actually decided to go to school to actually do film and television scoring. Yes. Now, um, I'm going to go ahead and let you tell everybody the school that you went to.
3: Uh well, it uh, Berkeley College of Music.
1: Now, is that uh, Berkeley relations to UC Berkeley?
3: Uh, no, actually. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Berkeley College of Music is a school in Boston. Um, they they are like what I would call the alternative to Juilliard. Okay. Um, Juilliard is a conservatory all about and very Juilliard also very traditional right Juilliard produces people produces musicians and composers who um are more geared towards live performance in say a symphonic setting right um their focus has always been to hire in terms of instructors has always been to hire working professionals so if you go through their film scoring courses you're you're working under professors who have literally probably just within a year or two left their jobs as film scoring engineers, um, orchestrators, and so forth. And, and so Berkeley rotates out their, their staff every five or six years um, and brings in some of the newest talent from Hollywood, the newest talent from Nashville, and so forth. Um, and I had wanted to go to school there since we were in high school. Oh, wow. um, but back then, back then, man, it was, uh, it was incredibly expensive and stiff competition to get in and get a scholarship because that was at that time it was performance based. Right, like you were gonna go, you were gonna go and perform and compete against whatever a hundred, mm-hmm. maybe a thousand other trumpet players trying to get in there. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, Berkeley um, has so many non-performance related courses that. It's, it's it's all changed, um, but yeah, and I and I will mention I didn't go to Boston actually. Um, it took me about a year and a half to become convinced that it would even work. Mm-hmm. But I did I did their online schooling. Okay. Um, and the reason the reason I had to be convinced that it would work is because I'm not easily bought into the idea of online schooling.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way.
3: Um, <laughs> but luckily for me, with it none of mine being performance-based, um, with it being just composition, orchestration, um, it, it all translated very well. I mean, I, I, re- I really enjoyed it. I mean, you're literally live in the classroom with them while they're teaching in Boston. Um, you get to interact and everything. And, and like I said, there's nothing hands-on, really, about what I was... the courses I was taking. So um, So, yeah, it was really really good experience um i didn't necessarily gain so much from the orchestration portions of it but more in terms of the engineering portions okay how are how are real world film scores recorded in hollywood mm-hmm. so more techniques. of the production
1: side you learned how to produce
3: at that right. point okay right that's that's where i really learned the most from them i think all
1: Maybe. right and so right after you get out of college what was your first big project that you got to work on
3: um, that was, it was called the Sears New World Order. Um, <laughs> it, it came about in such a strange way. Uh, a friend of mine, um, worked for a man in Little Rock who is amazing. Amazing. Makes, um, prosthetics for people, um, war veterans, um, people missing limbs. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. Like, he does, like, these movie quality prosthetics and stuff, and my friend Christine is his secretary, and she asked, she said, well, my boss needs a computer nerd. <laughs> and I said, um, well, that's really vague, but I could come meet with him and see if I could help him with whatever he needs, and I go and meet the guy, and he asked me to bring a resume, so I brought the resume, and as he's reading through it, he comes to the Berkeley College of Music bit, and that's he latched onto it and he just kept questioning me about it and um, so he brings up this the the fact that he's written a book called The Seer's New World Order and that was sort of where that started Um, basically the guy had created a a book and it was going to be a physical paper on the shelf book but also an e-book and his concept was to have music that would when people were reading the e-book itself like on their ipad or iphone mm-hmm. music would the music would queue up at the right moment and begin to play with the book that's that's really uh, cool. funny funny thing jk jk rowling tried to do this with the harry potter stuff too and we both discovered it doesn't really work <laughs> um you, you just it, you can't really make music that works that way where it changes with the book because everybody reads at their own pace mm-hmm. um but what we ended up doing was taking all of those ideas and moving them to the book's website. Um, so I ended up scoring uh, web pages essentially that had to do with different portions of the book. Um, the website itself is used as sort of a reference for the book for the book. Um, and the website also hosts a lot of the interactive content. So if you're reading on iPad, um, I actually brought it, we brought in voice talent, and recorded them as the characters in the book. And so as you're reading it on an iPad or an iPhone, the the audio will come in at the times that it's supposed to. But now it's mostly narration. The beginning of the book, when you flip the first page open on the iPad, does play the theme, the the actual musical theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of that's located on the website. So
1: Feel free to plug that, by the way. What's that? Feel free to plug that. If there's anything that you want to plug while we're yeah. doing this, feel free to do so. We're we're, you know, this is not just a for us. This is for our guests as well to where if you're trying to get more information out there or if you want people to explore it because, you know, it's 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 great sure. information. I mean, and it's and it's a great thing to be able to experience something that has been um, explored this route. Now, I do have a little something that I would like to say that I think you guys are actually, you know, um, pioneers, because I don't know if you know this, but they're actually starting to make ebooks, regular ebooks, uh more of a production where they are doing that now, where they're having voice actors come in, where they're doing it. And it's basically mm-hmm. a movie for the ears. So to me, yeah. that just means that you guys are more of the forerunners of that, but it, it was taken and done a little bit different.
3: Yeah. Yeah, um, well, and this is going into the um, 5.1 headset that uh, that you and I have discussed in the past. Oh, yeah, that's um,
2: right. You were working on a virtual reality uh, headset.
3: Yeah, um, again, uh, the the guy who wrote this book is, and I, I, I don't think he would be offended if he heard me calling him. This. I probably called him this while I was working with him at the time, but... He's sort of like a mad scientist. He's, all, he's always got <laughs> ideas going for you know new things. Um, this guy, when he was 15 years old, he, cr- he he created and patented his own fake skin, which he now uses in his prosthetics business. Um, 15 years old in like his mom and dad's basement. Um, so he's always cooking up new ideas. And the whole the whole idea with the 5.1 surround headset would be that. Um, it would initially work with the ebook. book uh, but then it would, you know, expand. You would be able to use it with other things. Right. Uh, it was orig- the the whole idea with it, and I think I told you this before, David, was that it was going to be integrated into the Oculus Rift VR helmet. Right. Um, Mike Mike bought into the um, developers' version of the Oculus Rift, mm-hmm. which meant he got one of them very early, and they gave him a lot of a lot of manuals and stuff to look over that tell you how to develop media for the Oculus Rift. And also they allowed the opportunity for Mike, for instance, to offer up a design which would incorporate this 5.1 headset into the actual device itself, the VR helmet. So that was sort of the goal of it um, in the long run. But, yeah... um, it, again, like you know having music go from one chapter to the next in a book turned out to be very I don't know how many years we might have spent on trying to make that work. Yeah. Um, like I said, Rowling tried to do it with the Pottermore stuff and it didn't really work for her either. but what they're coming up with now, as you said, is is, is every bit as interesting. I mean the voiceovers, the narration, yeah and there's absolutely there's absolutely no reason that you can't have. For instance, the sound, there's a there's a part in the book, the Sears, that we discussed um, with the headset. Uh, takes place in Central Park, and the, the concept that, that we kind of came up with was that I would actually go out in the field and do a field recording from some local parks, and then I would essentially engineer together a sort of three-dimensional, um, an atmosphere. Mm. That would that would essentially play through the 5.1 headset as the person reading that chapter, with it just being nature sounds and the sounds of a park. You really don't have to worry about that. You know, there's music is a totally different thing. It's got to keep flowing. But we we determined you know what well, we could do like audio environments that fit into the into the scene of the book. Um, so maybe maybe with any luck. Will be moving forward with that at some point in the near future. That's very innovative.
1: I mean, in my opinion, to be on the forefront of technology and you know being able to think about all that kind of stuff, you know, before anybody else. I mean, to me, that just kind of shows the sheer genius that you've surrounded yourself with. Oh
3: well, thank you, Mike. Yeah, Mike is. uh... Mike Mike Kaskowski, the the author, is is very much it's all about experience. It's all about like the actual um, experience of the experience of a book or experience of of music, um, and that was sort of the other direction with the the headset was that he wanted to create a new sort of audio environment with the device that would. Um, Maybe, maybe, push, maybe push music, um, or, or actually, let's see, how would you put it? I, I guess you could say music producers to maybe even go back in time and re-engineer old, old albums to work with the new system. Um, it, it, he had concepts of, of going back, this was kind of a 70s thing, quad. But the old quad setups were instead of, it was kind of the precursor to surround sound. Um, you didn't have a center channel speaker. You just had four speakers around you instead of five or five, five and you know, your one. 0.1. Right. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, he wanted ultimately that, that 5.1 headset to do a lot of different things. Um, mm-hmm. and there was one other thing I mentioned in the stuff I sent you, the brainwave entrainment. Yeah. That that was yet another aspect. Mike Mike actually got me into that, and that was going to be another another um, aspect of the 5.1 headset. Is that, uh, well, you know what? Probably to, to sum it up, the ho- the whole idea with it was going to be that you would either be able to achieve what what feels like a a very accurate simulation of 5.1 surround. You would then be able to reduce that with um a control on the on the device itself or maybe in a computer, you would be able to control it so that you could shut off whatever um virtual speakers mm-hmm. you don't want. You could reduce the headset back down to two channel. Right. Or or you could reduce it to like two point one where you're actually getting audio in the ears and from mm-hmm. sort of sort of the forehead area. That that center channel sort of um, that's that. Uh, and the idea was it would be, you could plug it into your, um, your audio system at home and watch a movie. I actually watched star Wars, um, a new hope, uh, in its entirety with my prototype. Oh, on. wow. And, uh, and it was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm, I'm really hoping this happens especially so, uh... for what, you can watch movies, you could watch TV, you could hook it into your computer and use it for com- PC games, you could hook it into your Xbox and use it for that, you could hook it into anything that would produce 5.1 or simple two-channel stereo audio, um, and you have the full range of options. You could take something that you're watching that's only two-channel and spread it around the 5.1 anyway, oh, wow. or simply listen or simply listen in two-channel. Yeah, that simulated um, surround point- sound. Yeah, mm-hmm. basically, and it all revolved around, um, it, or all revolves around, uh, the use of transducers. Um, firefighters use these transducers inside their helmets. Um, the transducer presses against the skull, mm-hmm. and because firefighters are often in scenarios where they can't hear one another. These transducers actually take care of that problem. Um, the transducer actually transmits the uh, the audio signal uh, into the bone of the skull and turns the skull into a resonating chamber. Um, it's as though you're hearing a voice in your head.
1: If I'm not mistaken, I think the military um, actually um, produced that technology so. for field for field uh, use.
3: So. Yeah. Um, and the interesting thing is if you can simulate where 5.1 audio originates and where it hits the skull, you can begin to simulate the actual 5.1 environment. So you would have a transducer that would essentially press somewhere in the center of the forehead kind of high. Um, you would have two that would be on the temples. And then you would have two, uh, and it took a while to get these placed properly, but you would have two sort of at the back of the base of your skull, right above where your neck joins, um, producing the rear audio. Um, And it's pretty authentic. Well, why? It's pretty authentic. Uh, But it took a lot of work. Like, that's just, that's more or less what I can tell you about it. Right. Because that's not digging into the details of, right of of how we made it work um
2: how long have you been a uh, lot of, working on this actually
3: wow let's see it, it was about a year no 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 it was about nine months worth of work on just developing the music for the sears so i would say
1: <clears throat> it's
3: easily been four years
1: wow sears, wow <clears throat> You know, I just yeah. was, while you're explaining all this, I just had a complete and utter thought and it may or may not be relevant or not, but would there be any way to use this technology to help individuals that can't hear?
3: Yes. Um, in fact, if you're familiar with cochlear implants, right? Yes, um, it's essentially the same thing. Oh, okay. Um, it's essentially the same thing. The difference is that, you know, with the cochlear, it's a flat, it's a very, very paper-thin, flat transducer. Um, And, of course, they're opening the skin and actually applying that transducer directly to the bone. Um, But it's the same exact concept. The idea is the ear, the inner ear has um, tiny hairs. And bones. Which... Yeah, and, and 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 yeah, and and they actually work together. The, the, the tiny little bone. I and mean, if you if you look at the diagram of the ear, you'll see the the bones you're talking about. They're little. They look like tiny little fragments. Mm-hmm. Um, and the bone and the hair inside the ear. Uh, the hair itself um, picks up on electrical impulses, um, and it all ties together so that essentially. Um, the sound vibrates from the transducer into the bone and then just radiates from there. So, for instance, as I was designing the headset, I was thinking, okay, well, if a person is sitting in the ideal position for a 5.1 environment, then then the center channel speaker should ideally hit somewhere in the center of their forehead. And I mean, of course, in real life, in scenarios like that, you know, you're you're actually getting Sound resonating through your bones to begin with. It's just you don't sense it that way, and and now that, that was another tricky thing about the headset was figuring out how to make people um, how to keep it from feeling like the the audio is actually being transmitted into the bone. Because if you get the power too high on it, you'll feel the transducer vibrating against yeah, your skin. That's
2: that's and you don't want
3: that. But you can simulate essentially the sort of direct sound path mm-hmm. from where a speaker would be to where it would actually hit you in the head. And that's a sort of, that's basically how you know, I began placing the transducers um, to get the effect that I wanted. Um, but the idea is uh, they vibrate, they send the audio signal into the bone um, because you know, the one transducers on your forehead, it gives you the sensation that it's coming from in front of you. The ones in the back, lower, the base of your skull, give you the sense that that sound is coming from behind you. But the actual effect, if you were to describe it to someone, this is the way I describe it when I watched Star Wars, for instance. It's like your skull becomes the auditorium. That's what it sounds like. Um, it sounds like it's completely taking place three dimensionally, completely compartment compartmentalized inside your head. Um, which and it's it's really it's a cool effect. I can't believe that no one else has has developed it yet.
1: It's all right. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna end up um, biting the bullet, making a trip to Arkansas just so I can experience <laughs> this myself. Uh, um, okay. because it sounds like a very interesting time. And then yeah. on top of that, uh, it'll give me an excuse to actually go see some of the people that I haven't seen in 20
3: years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta come to the reunion, man.
1: Well, seeing as I didn't graduate, <laughs> I don't know if they'll allow me in, but I bet you if I showed up, everybody'd be like, I know this guy.
3: <laughs> oh yeah. They wouldn't care.
1: Now, um, to... do, do... go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh. Oh. All right, so Ooh. um no, what I was gonna suggest what I was gonna talk about now is because again, we're we're actually almost to the end of the list of the stuff that you gave me. Um yeah. you, you also say that uh you are an acoustical science nerd. And uh if I'm not mistaken, yeah. um I, I I saw that uh I don't know if is it the company that you own or a company that you work with that is actually doing the acoustic design for a high school.
3: Um well, we weren't, we were not actually specifically involved in the, 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 the acoustical portions of the design, but, um, uh, we were, we were mostly involved in the installation. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's actually, that is more or less what I, you know, call my day job. That's the family business, my dad's, um, general contracting firm that he started in 1995. That's cool. So now, how so and, and then luckily, luckily, you know, like in that like in that situation, those those photos you saw, the posts that I made, yeah, um, you know, a lot of times it's kind of like things overlap. I mean, getting to go to, for instance, the new North Little Rock High School here in Arkansas, and getting to be in there while they're setting up and designing the entire like, I mean, they've got a news production facility in the high school, a complete production suite product music production studio in the high school you know and it's it's just it's nice to go to these places these schools and see these things going in all this stuff that we didn't have <laughs> right. when we were in high school Yeah, I was... mean we were nowhere near any of that yeah, and I now was... they have they have broadcasting facilities in the North Little Rock high school that would rival the, any of the any of the local like news channels I yeah. mean it's ridiculous
2: yeah, I was telling him actually yesterday—well, he, uh, he found out already, but we were talking about it with another friend of ours who's around probably the same age as you, right?
1: Yeah, he's close to my age. Yeah,
2: and and uh, I went to high school. Uh, I graduated in 2013, so, I mean, obviously, I'm fairly young. Wow. Like we said, yeah, I'm 20, 22 years old, <laughs> and uh, I went to school, and they had an entire facility off campus for the entire district to go to, and it, it wasn't just music stuff, but, but that was like— that was what I went to go, and that's how I got started out. Uh, they have an entire, like, new set. They have two classrooms full of Mac computers, at least, like, 30 Mac computers in each class, maybe even more, to be honest. And they're actually sponsored by Math or Mac, if I'm—Apple, if I'm correct.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah,
2: and it's it's
1: crazy. Yeah, this school—I I, I drive by it every day to, to get to school, and— Mm-hmm. This thing it's called Bectol. It's the Bechtel. Bir- yeah, Bactel. It's the Birdville
2: Center of Technology and Advanced Learning.
1: Right. And so it's it's everything. We're talking, you know, they've got automotive schools, they've got woodworking school. They've got it's it is Birdville's way of keeping the hands-on blue-collar technology available to the students and mm-hmm. without having to worry about taking up space in an actual school. So it, sure. it it the place is phenomenal. I mean, you walk in, and it looks like a very professional environment. They've got technology everywhere. I mean, you you go in there, and you're like, "Am I in a corporate building, or am I in a school?" They treat it. They treat it like
2: you're. Uh, we're always told we have a meeting, and they we're told we're treating you like you're in college, like you're an actual adult. We're not treating you like you're in high school because. That's one thing I did hate about high school. Like they treated us still like kids. We're coming into the new world Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and you want to treat us, you say we're adults, but then you want to treat us like kids. But they're like, you can wear whatever you want. You're not uh, restricted by uh, school dress code, but be appropriate. Think about the professional environment and how you would act. And that's what they were treating us like. And I don't think it's just Birdville. If I'm correct, even Fort Worth ISD, it's probably not as big as Birdville's or as the stuff they have is expensive but apparently some uh, some of the my old friends that I don't talk to anymore they had their own uh, film schools and uh, are not film schools but they had own like classes like that and even in uh, Houston a friend I talked to and I don't again talk to anymore but she had her school too and she uh, uh, where they taught like film stuff and they had green screen and
1: whatnot and, and to kind of give you an idea of the the <laughs> caliber of instruction that they have there, Um, one of the, one of the instructors over there is actually a instructor here at the, at the college that we go to. Um, and so, and and so it's able to translate. That's how, that's how, you know, how legit it is that it's able to translate. He's not Mm -hmm. really changing the way he teaches anything because it's all the same. So to be able to say that a student that's under the age of 18 that may have an interest like you did. Has an outlet to be able to take care of and be able to do all this stuff in this environment to me is just leaps and bounds ahead of what you and I had to deal with growing up.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, what the stuff we had was archaic in comparison. I mean, it's, <laughs> and, and 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 you know, like it's really nice for me because I mean, leaving high school, um you know, originally uh, the intention was I was going to become uh, a music educator. I mean, I was going to go for an education life uh, education degree. Um, and I, and because I did not do that, you know, I feel like I've missed out on teaching because I mean, I, that's something I always, I always enjoyed. Um, but going to these schools now and seeing all this stuff going in, I, I think it's important in a lot of ways. I mean, I think music education is important on its own, in, in its own right, but also I think um, so many of the jobs that we were taught to go for when you and I were in high school, David, you know, I mean, so many of those are becoming automated and, mm-hmm. and run by machines. And and creativity, um, creative work is is one of the few things that maybe a computer can't do, and maybe... I don't. I don't think it's an, an issue of it. it. Never will be that way. I, I do think that AI is going to become. There's already, in fact, I'll just mention this briefly. Um, there is um, some AI work being done by Google right now.
0: Oh God.
3: Uh, that is laying the groundwork for what they're saying. Somewhere down the road, ten years maybe or so, a computer would actually be able to take your film. And go through the entire collective music that humanity has produced throughout history. Recorded music would be able to take all of that, analyze it, analyze what has been done in films in the past, and produce a or uh, produce an original score for your film. Um, so I'm not saying that that won't ever happen. They're already working on it, but. I do think that creativity is one of the things that that people right now at least have that, that computers don't. So it's nice to see these things going into high schools. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. I mean, and one of the things I'm trying to use my personal, my, my website for, um, I'm trying to build it up because I want to start getting some educational stuff on there as well. I've spent more or less the time since 2009 not just working on writing or composing and producing music but also building what I consider to be the top of the line ultimate virtual orchestra um, so that, that's one of the things like I, I hope to do maybe fulfill some of that um, teaching ambitions through my website maybe in the future all
1: right well hey you know we're gonna end up wrapping this up a little bit because we're right around our little hour time frame but yeah, I ramble. You know
3: what, I, I like you crazy know what though? though?
1: You know that's it's great because, yeah. to be honest with you, I was a little afraid that we may have run a little too quick, and then we would have had to fill this with nonsense later on down the line. <laughs> but because you are long-witted, that's great. I, I have no issues with that. Now, there's a couple of things that I want you to do before uh, before we do wrap it up. Um, you sure. already mentioned your website and some of the other things, so I want you to go ahead and plug yourself. Go ahead and plug if you have, you know, plug your, your production Facebook page, your, if you have a Twitter, whatever you have. That way, any of our listeners, if they want to further follow you, they can go ahead and do so. So go ahead and plug that.
3: Okay. Uh, well, the website is jasonwants.net. It's Jason spelled the normal way, Wants, W A T T S dot net. Um, you can find links to Facebook and Twitter on there on the front page. Um, so if you if you want to connect those ways, uh, also I'll I'll just throw this in since I thought, talked so much about it. The Sears, New World Order mm-hmm. the official website for that. If, if if anybody wants to go and listen to any of that music or just check out the book, it's www.theseers.com. T H E S E E R S. dot com. Um, yeah, and I I think that's probably all. I really need to plug not a problem uh-huh. now
1: before i do let you go i am gonna have to tell you this mm-hmm. Jason. you're gonna need to come down uh and visit me here in texas at some point uh only okay. only reason why is i don't know if you've ever been to texas but you with you being oh yeah a a a, a composer and and doing symphonic style stuff we've got some of the best in my opinion here Um, like, uh, like my partner here, Fonz had specifically stated earlier, he works at the Kimball, which the modern, the modern, which is right next to the Kimball, my bad. Yeah. Uh, but they've got some of the best music performances that happen there. And then of course we've got Bass Hall, which is right down the road from there as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we are actually in the area that we're at, we're not in the Dallas area, we're in the Fort Worth area. So it's a lot more cultural. Exactly. In my opinion, than it is in the Dallas area. So you need to come down and visit. Um, and it, plus, of course, it'll give us an excuse to to, to get together again. Um, and plus, yeah, you, you would probably be able to afford to visit me before I'd be able to afford to visit you. <laughs> a college student, man, uh... it's not making a whole lot of money. <laughs> so, all right,
3: well, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love to.
1: All right, well, I'd like to thank you again. Again, uh, our guest today was Jason Watts. Uh, again, go look at any of the materials that he had said today. Anything you'd like us to mention, Vaughn?
2: No, uh, it was great uh, talking to you, man. I always love talking to other people that get into audio. It just it just expands my no, not ugh, my knowledge because I'm barely getting into it, but you've been in, into it for years, and and it I wish it just makes me want to even strive harder to be what I want to be. Hey, that's
3: great. Yeah, I mean I, I've, I've enjoyed it. I'm happy to talk to you both. Uh, it's been fun.
1: All right, Jason. Well, again, thank you again. Um, Good catching up with you. you. And I'm going to try not to be a stranger. I'm actually probably going to give you a call here before too long because I actually have a proposal for you, and we'll get into that more later.
3: Sounds good.
1: All right, brother. Well, you have a good one, and thank you again, sir. All right, boys and girls, thank you again for tuning in to Fonz and the Beer. Join the boys next week when they'll have Steve Stanley and the Merc live in studio for some shenanigans.